Welcome to the Evolution Gaming Exchange podcast. We're bringing together leaders in the gaming industry to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm James, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers across the audience. So today we're doing an on-site podcast with Calibri, so it's Calibri exclusive. Uh, and I'm joined by Yarl, Christopher, Lauren, and Jonas. Uh, so before we delve deeper into sort of like the topics and the questions that we're going to be asking, uh, I'm going to go around the room and ask for a little introduction from yourself. So I want to know who you are, uh, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. So start with you, you are. Thank you. So I'm Joel, Joel Subisarreta. Um, curious part for me, actually, I graduated in computer science, but I'm, I'm doing as a HR director at Colibri Games. Um, Oof, if I tell you how many years I've been in the industry, you might disclose my age. So, <laughs> from 2007, 8, I guess. But yeah, mostly my career has been into talent acquisition, uh, business partner, and now um, uh, heading the whole direct HR at Concrete Games. Perfect. No, amazing. Um, Jonas, want to keep an introduction? Yes, great. Happy to be here. Thank you. So, I'm Jonas. Basically, the engineering leader here at Codebook Games, if you think about it, my role is to support the company with technology and IT to make great games. I'm from a more personal side, a more uh, family person. Uh, so I spend a lot of time visiting and exploring the city with my family, going to different coffee shops. And while I'm not doing that, I'm playing mobile games or playing table tennis as well. It's something that I really, really enjoy. I have a lot of fun with that. And just to connect with uh, Joe as well, I have a computer science degree and I actually had the career of a computer scientist behind me. So quite a few years now working on software development and technology and building games. Nice, very interesting. And just before we sort of start the podcast, we spoke about how uh, we're going to have a uh, table tennis match after this. Yes, so we decide who's the... Uh, He's the best at that as well, so uh, the challenge is on there. <laughs> um, we'll update you who wins that one. Um, perfect. Uh, Lauren, do you want to give an uh, introduction to yourself? Sure, yes. Hi, I'm Lauren. So I'm the Head of Player Communications at Calibri, um, and that's actually three sub-teams. So it's Customer Service, Community Management, and Localization. So, yeah, the name Player Communications being because if it involves getting words or information to the players, it's going to come through us somehow. And, yeah, i um, been doing that for quite some time. I'm one of the, uh, along with people like uh, Chris and uh, Jonah, been here quite a while at Calibri. I've also been in the industry quite a while. I'm going to take a leaf out of Joel's book as well and not give away my age with that, but I've been doing it for a while. Um, as for my degree, not computer science or anything like that. Um, yeah, the sciencey languages are not mine. I'm very much a, a word person, a foreign languages person, so I have a, lang- a language and linguistics degree. Um, I speak French and German amongst a few others that I've dabbled in, so it just really makes yeah, the work that I do extremely fun dealing with players all over the world in many different languages and that ties into stuff I do in my personal life as well. I love reading, I love things like musicals and then I'm also super interested in how they get translated or localized and, you know, the little things that they do differently and why they do it differently. It's, yeah, I'm just a big nerd for all of that, really. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. What's your favorite book at the moment? Oh, actually, um, so a very British uh, approach, so I'm reading the Discworld series. I've been reading it for quite some time now, because if you don't know, there's, what, 41 books in the Discworld series from Terry Pratchett? So I'm near the end, but I've been reading them in chronological order rather than in story arc order. So anyone who knows the series will know what I'm talking about. If you don't, check it out. If you like fantasy, um, yeah, go go and read them. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. I'll, uh... I might do that. It's a lot of books over here, yeah. catching up on that slide. <laughs> uh, perfect. Uh, so, lots of Chris up Sure, yeah. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Chris. I'm the Director of Data Platform and Analytics at Calibri Games. Um, I actually did not study computer science either. I studied statistics and mathematics in my university degree. Um, and I've been doing um, pretty much only data analytics in games for my entire career. And I will date myself. I've been doing it for just over a decade. Um, so I've been uh, doing that and it, about his hobbies and like little interesting facts about me. Um, you know, everyone knows that guy who has 200 billion games in their steam library. That's me. I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, I live and breathe games. I've been doing it for the whole time. It was like a dream to be able to be able to take like 
a completely unrelated, well, I felt at the time, unrelated um, career choice and being able to apply it to something I loved doing all the time. Uh, so I consider myself very lucky there. But yeah, I mean, I do games all the time. I do listen to a lot of games, podcasts and things like that. Maybe not so much on the business side, but very much on the content side of things. Um, and I'm traditionally trained as a data scientist. Um, what else can I say? Mostly that kind of thing. And I've also been here at Calibri Games for quite a while. So how long have you been here? I've been at Calibri for four, just over four and a half, well, about four and a half years now. Nice. Yes. nice. Right. Amazing. Perfect. Well, thank you all for introducing yourselves. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So what we're going to do is we'll go into some questions that we sort of got about um, Calibri. And uh, we'll just sort of make our way around the room and just sort of get some views and opinions uh, from each other. So I'll start with the first one. Uh, with the rapid growth of... Uh, sorry, I'll start that question again. Um, with the rapid growth and evolution of the gaming industry, how does delivery Games stay adaptable and innovative um, in the approach to leading and scaling the studio? So I'll come to you, Lauren. Yeah, sure. Um, I can definitely say for, for the leading part rather than the scaling part, um, all four of us here around this table for this podcast are part of the company leadership round, which is, I think, kind of bigger than you'd maybe stereotypically get in a lot of different companies. So we're actually, I think, 10 people total in the leadership. And that's because we then bring each of our departments and each of our perspectives to the table to make sure that we're seeing everything that we have to, that we're working on everything that we have to. And it hasn't always been like that in the past. Uh, the leadership round wasn't that big. Um, but yeah, just expanding to make sure we've got the right voices and the expertise because, yeah, we need to hear from tech, from Jonas to know what we need to be working on, what we need to be adapting to from the tech side. We need to make sure that the people that work uh, with us are happy and looked after and that's where Yoel will come in we need to make sure we're doing everything data driven which is Chris and of course then what my team and my perspective will bring to that is are we actually doing what the players want is that what they're actually giving us the feedback for is that the direction they want to see and just make sure we've got every single voice like around the leadership side that we need to have and that's really just one way to stay adaptable and innovative I think because yeah you're making sure you've got as much info to make those decisions as possible. Yeah, nice. No, really cool. Uh, you've been here quite a while, haven't you? So yes. you're like, talking about like the growth of the business and stuff like that from where you've come from. Where you're going. I think... Awesome every single like so i've been here nearly five years now and every year it's felt like a different company and for very logical and good reasons just we've constantly changed so it really feels like kind of whatever the the zeitgeist of the industry was at the time like we were floating around quite nicely within it and then as every year has passed we've learned more we've adapted to it we've changed it we've got lots of new and different people in and it's just yeah it really does feel like even if if you come back next year and do this podcast i'll tell you that the the year i just uh, experience was even more different it's really just refreshing it, it almost feels like I've started fresh myself every year like I've been a new starter because there's been something to just dig our teeth into and deal with it's really it's very exciting yeah no it is it's, it's been amazing growth for you guys some four years bro which is really cool so uh, I'll come to you sort of um, Jonas as well sort of about the sort of like um, the adaptable side of uh, Calibri Gate was sort of leading. So how, how is that sort of changing with the game sort of for you guys? Sure, from our side, uh, as Lauren said, uh, this company changes fast and that's because also we are trying to really understand what's going on, what's going on in the market, what's going on internally, what challenges do we have, what opportunities do we see. And since the beginning of Calibri Games, before it was called Calibri Games even, like we always heard the stories and we internalized that into the company of shipping fast, iterating fast and learning from it very fast. So as 
the last five years uh, passed in this company, there has always been a thread at the company that we work and we get this feedback as well over time. If we are too slow, we need to be faster and, and we iterate faster. So it's really about learning fast. It's not about going very fast in a sense of break things and, and go fast. That's I mean, not... we, break, we do break things on occasion. <laughs> yes, but we fix them fast as exactly. well. That's, that's the thing. But we, we learn from mistakes we make. We learn maybe that players don't like what we just did. And then we iterate fast on it and go through it. Um, I used to really enjoy when I joined Colibri the fact that we had one week sprints and we delivered a release to the players every week. And we made changes to our main games and we delivered them after a week to the players and the players really enjoyed that as well. And I thought that was fast. But now when I see our team today, in this year, we got to a point where we are delivering two releases a week. It's a lot of experiments that we're doing, so the players don't see every new release, but we try in different countries to see what the players like. And if they do like, then we release it globally as well for them. So the team has achieved uh, impressive uh, speeds of delivery in terms of releases to the mobile game plant. Oh, amazing. So the scale of the business as well. How, how have you found that was sort of like the engineering side of like the growth of the teams? We also came from having one game and being a one game company where we had six developers doing that game towards a company now where we can we can happily say we have a portfolio of games around uh, more than eight games now uh, out there for the players. And we have more than three teams working on those games as well. And that same original game is still around and the team has grown three or four times the size as well. And overall, like in terms of uh, engineers, we also have more than 20 engineers in the company now. So the challenge that came for it were topics that we discussed already in the last years. For example, how do we share solutions between the games? How do we work to deliver something to players that has the same experience in the different games while not redoing it again and again for every new game that we want to do? Because we also want to make games faster tomorrow than what we did yesterday. Nice. No, you had a very successful year, right? You got nominated for one of the Nobel Awards. We right? did. Yes, that was really exciting. I got to go to the award ceremony with our <laughs> with our managing director, so that was really awesome to see. It's just really nice to have so many different people from across the industry, whether it's like your, your big players or like indie uh, studios, uh, solo devs, anything like that. Just having such a bunch of people come together to celebrate successes and to see that it's, yeah, it was really, really exciting. That's amazing. Yeah, congratulations to you all, I guess. It just shows all the artwork that's getting from you guys and it's being recognized outside of the studio. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's really, really about the people that we have here and the teams that we're building together. We are also working a lot as a leadership team to make our teams strong, our managers strong, create this environment where, you know, if people have really good ideas that they want to bring up, we are listening to them and we are working together with them to adjust our plans, to adjust the company, like all those changes that happened in the company. They are not just decisions made somewhere in the dark room. They are because the company itself, its people are are figuring out, hey, we could be doing things better. Yeah, of course. There's always improvements, and that's why the team's there in it to, to make it happen all the time. Chris, um, what's your sort of view? You've been here quite a while as well with Calibri and sort of seen the growth of the yeah. leaderships. There was definitely plenty of things I could play off of, of what was said so far. Um, but let me talk specifically about kind of where I came in because I think that's an interesting thing, right? Because um, in games, especially when you're a small team of an agile startup, data is the last thing you're thinking about, yeah, right. right? And that's what I came was here to solve. And I was actually literally hired because someone had the foresight to say, we probably need that at some point. Um, and 
when it comes to scaling and, and things like that, I mean, yeah, you need to make sure that you have the learning feedback loop, right? So you need to have a feedback loop and you need to know like what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, right? And data is just one of those ways to, to get that information. We talked about lower scope, which is player comms. We were very player communication driven at the beginning. You're getting the feedback from Reddit and from you know uh, t Twitter or whatever, Discord and things like that. And um, you know that's not always representing what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, right? You need to have some kind of objective way of doing that. So when I started here, it was about building an objective way of doing it. It's not to say that we're ignoring the player opinion. I like to say that data gives the players uh, the silent majority. Absolutely, because not everybody will contact my team. Not everybody's right. on social media, and so very much yet yeah, that it's it's not that you know it's Chris's team versus my team or anything, no. but we put it together. Like what he doesn't see is what I can show, and then vice versa. So yeah, yeah. and that's riffing into this leadership thing, right? Because yeah. I remember if I were to look at this ten years ago and go, "There's ten people running your company. Are you crazy?" Because you have there's too many cooks in the kitchen thing, right? But I think what's important about this is is that through all the learning that we've been doing, we've constantly adjusted the size of the leadership team yeah. based on what the experience was internally, right? Who knows what? And kind of adjusting, right? Continuously evolving. I know I know everyone's basically said something along that lines, right? But being very self-critical and going, is this the right setup for us right now? And we actually had this this year. We had a reinvention of leadership. We had a reinvention of management that was required. And it doesn't mean people got displaced. So we're not talking anything of that sort. You see a lot of news about layoffs. We don't have that at Calibri Games. It's just a, hey, let's look at who we have right now. Where are they best put? What should they be doing? What scope should they have? So right now we settled on this 10 person kind of thing, but that might change in a six months time, in a year's time, because our business has changed, the industry has changed or something like that. So, you know, data could be very important right now, but we know that there are current things happening in the technology world that makes data a little bit less powerful than it used to be. And that's okay, right? And we adjust. So we're constantly looking for these things. I think what's important is to self-assess constantly what you are doing and making sure that you're saying, am I doing it right? Because even though we are leading in some fashion, we have an award and all that stuff, I don't think any of us assume that we're right about everything we do. I think we assume we might be wrong. Let's double check ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very good what you just said, Chris. I think uh, at the end, we, with the experience in the industry we have, we know how quick it's changing, how like the games players play today might be different tomorrow. And we know that we can only find the next a game that will be successful and also the growth of our existing games if we are actually listening both from the player side the qualitative feedback but also the quantitative feedback on the data side and I remember when you joined as well it was really a, a major challenge to get a company from having zero data into a place where we can actually answer business questions from the data and from a technology perspective that was an amazing achievement in what three years three years i'm going to tell my own horn here because <laughs> we went from zero data to 200 terabytes per month so amazing yes. um, and this is not and you know i will speak you know little asterisks gdpr etc and so forth Right, but this is all just anonymous player behavior. Like, what are they doing? We don't use it for anything. Like, of course, we have live ops and stuff, which we will talk about maybe a bit later. But like, you know, this is very much a like scaling thing. We're talking about scaling in this whole thing, right? But I will also say we're at 200 terabytes. I also don't think we need to be there all the time, right? We adjust. No, amazing. No, that's great. Um, I'll just bring you in. So uh, we've got a bit of a small question, more a little bit more directly towards you then. So um, building a talented uh, and diverse team is crucial for any sort of uh, studio, uh, any successful gaming studio. Um, what strategies and initiatives uh, does Calibri Games employ to attract, retain, and foster a diverse workforce? Uh, and how does the uh, how does this con contribute to the overall culture of the studio? Good question. Actually, can be answered with a bit what my colleagues mentioned just before. 
Uh, the I, I guess I saw this in uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine when they say uh, <laughs> uh, there is a, there is beauty in diversity, but also there's strength. I'm pretty sure it comes from my most important, but they, they quoted in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, the idea is uh, the diversity of the literature team shows an example. You cannot just have uh, one kind of profile. You need a mix of those profiles. People who have a lot of experience, people who have less experience, people who will give you new ideas, new concepts, people who came from different industries, though, who will tell you, oh, you know what, this works in my industry, maybe you should try it in games as well. And that creates that strength. Um, and it goes to all angles in the company. Uh, it can go for just training. It can go for simple actions like uh, modifying our job description in the career side to, lead, to make it less ambiguous and make it very clear, non-biased. It can go for uh, having proper one-on-one -on -one with our managers and uh, team leaders and team members and telling them um, how to how to make a career development plan if they really want it. Um, it can go also with the performance, I mean, not to be biased on performance, to do a proper assessment that somebody deserves a raise because it does deserve a raise, not just because I like this person, right? And yeah, the cool. fairness of the process, the fairness of this, it makes uh, diversity much better. Yeah, nice. And it's sort of like maintaining a culture within the business, right? It's sort of developing the culture. How do you guys feel the culture within the businesses uh, within Calibri at the moment? Um, feel free, Adam Lopes. I think culture is an interesting thing because Calibri is interesting and unique in a lot of different ways. Um, because, because, I don't know, like, going to what you all are saying about playing different industries, gaming has a stigma. It's not always a good one, right? And it can be things like this, you know, overwork you see in AAA. It can be things like um, the um, like passion-driven. You have to be passionate about what you do, right? And what I think we're trying to achieve when it comes to, like, uh, diverse a diverse workforce in terms of mentality is we're also including things like neurodiversity. And neurodiversity being many things, but including that of personal interest. You don't have to be a gaming person. You can be a manufacturing person and apply your knowledge there or something like this. Um, and going to the culture thing, right? That creates a very unique social culture um, that I think is quite, I would say quite unusual, at least from what I'm used to. In my, in my past experience in gaming, where it was a very monoculture gaming thing. I think we have way more diverse people, way more interesting culture because we have people from aerospace. I'm looking at you all because you came from aerospace, right? We have people from aerospace, we have people from AI, we have people from, I mean, I don't, I mean, that's so many different places from Audible and from Amazon. And, Right, and then even anything you wouldn't necessarily put with it, like, you know, I'm from, like, retail, hospitality, that kind of thing, which you yeah. don't see as a crossover necessarily. It's, yeah. yeah, I see it, the culture's kind of like a, a solar system in my head. Like, obviously, we're all still revolving around the same kind of orbits, which is the Calibri culture, um, but there's so many just little pockets and planets of everyone that have, yeah, they've just found their own thing. Like, if you take a look at how many fun channels we have in our Slack, like, it's ridiculous. There is a little, like, subculture group of almost anything and everything that you want to be a part of, that you want to celebrate, that you want to do in your spare time. And it's, yeah, so it's lots of little things that also revolve around the big whatever the culture actually is. I don't think it's definable, but it's definitely there. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a thing that I think we all feel. <laughs> There's also a part that I remember... Um, an example that I think express really how we are trying to just respect everyone, how they are and what they actually like to do and how, how they prefer to do things, which is like our summer party. You can imagine a summer party and imagine parties, but can you imagine that actually a lot of the people also really enjoy playing board games? in the summer party because that is something that we really really enjoy as well some people like that some people like to enjoy their time in a different way but it's really about socializing it's about team bonding it's about people having fun together and that's that's the environment that we wanted to create and that's what we see as well in every friday as well when we are around here every week so having a bit of fun after the hard work week that we had. 
Connected to that, uh, actually, that's has a uh, terminology in human resources. It's called ERGs, uh, employee resource groups, uh, employee-led uh, communities. And uh, you know, you have the typical uh, company who does their uh, Friday pizza Friday, so pizza Fridays, uh, used to drink and have fun. But also, but that, that's only it's interesting for the one who like to drink, right? But what about the one who don't want to drink? Yeah. And for that, uh, we have other events. Uh, we have our famous uh, last last time was the crafting of cro- cro- uh, crochet. 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 Yes. <laughs> they, it was so interesting. Another time, I missed uh, I, uh, the one I missed the most was the one when they painted the sneakers. Mm. That was so good. Yeah. Yes. So, and these are led. Uh, we just support. Our role is to support because every person comes with ideas, and we are there to support them. And that's how it creates this uh, interesting culture. Then it's just not pizza Friday, right? So there is something more than that. It's a bit of a shame because, as as Lauren said, it's it's hard to describe. Yeah. But going to the like attract, retain, foster innovation, whatever you want to say about building a company, we lean into it. We lean into who we are a bit because I do think what we have is unique, interesting, and people working, seeking new work. It doesn't matter what industry they're coming from. There are people legitimately looking for it, and it generates engagement. It generates innovation, and so we lean into the this kind of social culture, these ERGs, these kind of things where we want people to know that when they come to Calibre Games, doesn't matter who they are or what they want to do, they belong somehow, right? And I think that's really, really important. Going to diversity, but also talent and everything like that. It doesn't matter what your talent is. Maybe we can find a place for you, right? We actually have a history of doing this where we have people come in with a completely different skill set they come in they learn a new skill they say ah i'd like to do that job instead if something happens to work out timing wise we're like okay give it a shot right go train and go do it and then maybe you can try it out and And i'm sorry and that comes with the with they mentioned in the beginning they had to be very agile things and trial and error we just try does it make sense for us okay let's try it if you fail we fail but we will not of course you have to be reasonable about it we can't just create positions out of thin air for people who want to be a game designer but we don't ever exclude that possibility and i think that's really important right we do say hey you want to do that let's create a plan for it let's talk about it. let's think about it. let's create coaching let's do something about it not let it sit and stew so people get frustrated and decide to leave and try something else or go back to school or something like that we try to give them a place for it and or at least some kind of outlet we're not always successful i think we can only admit right but we try, like it's very much a, and I hope people can feel that we are proactively doing this as leaders, making space for this, right? In our own leadership styles as well. Yeah, of course. And I think that's where you kind of like find new talent, right? Like someone who, like for you guys, some of you not from any sort of game and background, right? And you sort of come into a game industry and you, you succeed and by not, by, by having people coming in with sort of like, you know, they might not have that background game, but they do have talent. It sort of gives you that extra sort of sword almost. You sort of like sharpen you sort of in a different area. Someone who's in weird talents, which are bring over completely different backgrounds, which will work for the business, which is really cool. And it's an, it's an amazing thing to be doing because some students can get really fixated on just gaming experience, which is sort of like from our sort of experience being sort of like on the recruitment side of things of what people are asking we we only want people with this much experience coming into the game sort of like area and it, it could be sad because you can see the talent just being lost at the same time yeah so yeah no it's great to see you guys and how you sort of implementing that within clip so uh we'll come to jonas now with this sort of question as well uh so the gaming industry is known for its fast-paced nature uh, and constant technology advancements. How does Calibri Games navigate these challenges and ensure its teams are equipped with the necessary skills and resources to stay at the forefront of the industry? I think it's quite interesting. It's a very interesting question and it's very related to the topic that we've been discussing already because it's about learning at every single level. So we try to learn as a business with our games, releasing them first, but we also, together with uh, Joe, for example, work a lot on, okay, how can the individuals learn and grow further on their careers as well? And we, we keep iterating on that. There is no one formula that will work for everyone. 
Some people like to learn on the job, some people like to learn reading books or reading articles, or others like to really make prototypes or go for a game jam, and they like to learn in that way. So we, we are constantly reviewing as well the different patterns that we have for learning, but one thing that has been for a while now, especially in the developer community at Colibri, is that we have weekly sessions, weekly talks, it's not like we always have someone talking, but we have a reserved spot for sharing knowledge every week with each other as developers or as technology people. If there's something interesting that people want to share, want to share with each other, they build a new system. They've solved a very hard challenge for some of our new games. They can share there. The space is there, it's, it's available, it's self-driven as well. The teams decide together what they really think uh, it's interesting and, and work on that and share with each other. So that has been going on for as many years as the company exists. So our folder of how many talks we have is, is massive. So everyone joining as well, I always recommend, hey, take a look at the folder but don't be constrained about repeating topics because also things change. Technology changes very fast. Maybe a topic that made sense in a very old Unity version is completely different in a very new Unity version. There's a lot of learning on the job too. I think it's, it's related to, again, what we talked about before. And I mentioned earlier about like the having to um, not be always satisfied with exactly the old way of doing things, right? Thinking of yourself critically and going, okay, how can I make this better? Right? What can I do next better, right? That's true, I think, also for all teams in technology as well, right? It's something that you need to ask yourself, what, what should we do about this, right? I would say in the realm of technology, I think more in terms of engineering, which is problem solving, right? Identify a problem going, I have a problem to solve. What is the way to solve it? Not how do I use the tools I currently have to solve it. It's what is sh how should I solve it? And then seeing how you fit it into your current thing, right? This is very true for data, of course, because data is also like just data in itself is moving extremely fast, not just gaming, right? And so I can only speak towards that part, obviously, more than I can speak towards, for example, Unity development. But there was a lot of on-the-job learning, like just really a lot of experimentation, learning fast, trying stuff out, comparing stuff directly and actually doing it before making a decision to do to, to stay on top of something. And also kind of realizing that not everything's gonna stay the way it is. I mentioned this so many times already, but I mean, I've done at least two warehouse migrations since I've been here, just because the technology's changed significantly in the four years I've been here. So I think that's also very important, like the on-the-job on learning part and making sure that you have people looking at what they're doing and saying, okay, how do I do that better? Is a significant contributor to being able to keep up with new technologies, new softwares, new approaches and procedures and techniques. I think if, oh, sorry, sorry, I'll jump in because Jonas mentioned uh, the self-driven element of it. And I think that's often where I see it most in my team because we're not necessarily massively technological with what we're doing, but there's always something we can improve or streamline. And again, because a lot of people, as you commented earlier, maybe come into the industry from elsewhere. They maybe don't know what's available to them, what they can learn, what they can speed up and do differently. And I love the collaboration that we have, not just with kind of tech teams, um, but just across the company. I really love how if somebody's like, I'm trying to do this thing or I'm trying to make this better, I don't know how, they can just throw it out into Slack and somebody, even if it's not somebody necessarily technological, they'll be like, oh, try this, try that. And then you learn as you go, just based on what all the different profiles in the company know and like to play with in their spare time or have learned on their own jobs. And I really like that. So yeah, it's a very constant kind of learning culture. Well, that's really cool. Do you, do you, uh, Barrett, it's sort of in your way. So do you, do you sort of like invest in sort of like development as well? So obviously you've got development within company and sort of like learning or job. Do you, do you invest in sort of like courses and things like that for people as well? Yeah, so literally this. Um, I would say something very common. I, I would like to believe something very common in the industry, and not just here in Berlin, also in the gaming industry. Uh, all of us all are investing in the training and development of the of the employees. That's if some company is not doing it, okay, so we need to talk to them. 
uh, everybody has their own uh, budget for learning for conference. You want to go to a conference, you are going to a I'm, conference. I'm literally going tomorrow. She's going tomorrow. <laughs> see? And there are colleagues going, if something interesting makes sense for their development, we have probably budget, we cover the tickets, have fun, enjoy, learn. And when you come back, make a briefing, teach to your colleagues back uh, in the office. That's the purpose. Uh, do you want to have a certification? Does it make sense? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Okay. At the end, um, the privilege is uh, maybe this for another book, I don't know. But uh, you are as strongest as your weakest link, right? So if you have uh, non trained employees, then this is the strongest you're going to get. Amazing. I think you all said something earlier. I think I want to ref off of this before because you said a bunch of stuff in that sentence, but also something much earlier, which was if it makes sense, right? And I think what's important is that you also said that it's up to us as leaders, but as a company to support it, right? It does not mean that we're going to spoon feed it, right? Of course. And that's, I think that's very important, right? Though it, we have, you know, I, I would say employee driven, right? We try to make it as employee driven as, as we want to be and create support structures around it, right? Things like the talking that the developers are doing, things like providing conferences and courses, but we're not necessarily going to spoon feed it because unfortunately we can't pay attention to everything happening in the world for you, right? But I, I think what's important is to have that, that structure and to know that, like, again, going to the culture question earlier, that it's okay to ask, just ask, right? If you need a bit of help or if you want to even figure out it makes sense, your lead is there to talk it through with you and say, does it make sense? And actually, oftentimes, most people, they are. And most of the time, it does make sense. It may take a, a little bit of a side detour to get there, but it usually does. And I think that's very important, right? It's a, it's a structure thing right but not necessarily like providing university courses or sending someone to a master's program no right because it can be sometimes misconstrued right when you have like are you a learning company which is paying for my degree or something which is not the case right but we can provide very clear structures and a very clear pathway for you to do that kind of thing amazing yeah. just to close that uh, going into people and culture hr kind of topics uh, there are three pillars all the time that you need to focus on career development. That's uh, standard. Mm -hmm. Is uh, one of them is the, the the willing of a team leader or manager trying to help you to make develop your career. I believe we have that. Um, the resources, the tools we do have. Yeah, but the most important and the critical one is the interest of the employee. If the interest that if the employee doesn't want to move, as much we push you, you're not going to. And I think that's where it comes down to the culture and business, where you sort of bring people on and sort of encourage that person to sort of become that better person within the company, if that makes sense. Exactly. Like we try to provide as many opportunities as we can. They are there, but oftentimes as well, what I see in my teams is that sometimes people don't see the opportunities. So encouraging them, talking to them about it is also quite helpful to make them realize, oh yeah, okay, I, I could take this course, this in, in, in one of the tools that we already have available. Hey, that's great. So you have this place where you can just think about what you want to learn and you can discuss and you can try to plan it and, and try to make it happen. And it's really important that it has to be raised and it has to be discussed so that uh, we can actually plan it with our production processes as well. Worse. Amazing. So it's always taking the initiative for yourself and then sort of encouraging that to sort of be done by the period, which is a great way to view it. Um, amazing. So we're going to come towards Christopher with this sort of question now that we're going to move into. So Calibri Games has a strong track record of creating immersive and live ops game, uh, gaming experience. Could you discuss how the studio's culture and values influence the development process? And how the uh, how they co contribute to the creation of unique and mem memorable games. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jonas already mentioned it before, right? But we have this idea kind of pushing behind us, like this agenda, like secret agenda pushing behind us, which is release, get stuff out, put it in front of players, let them see it, and let's see what happens. Learn fast. Let's get out. Let's figure stuff out. Right, um, and I think a lot of that is coming up with like from the from the culture, right? This very constant like we can do it better. Let's make something cool. Let's do something innovative. Let's try something out, right? And keep trying that out, right? But you have to get in front of players to do so, right? You're not learning anything if you're the only one playing it. 
So I think that's a lot about this, you know, the culture. And this is all learning on the job. It's all the things that we have just talked about, right? Is all contributing to this development process. Just let's try it. Let's fix the problem. Let's, you know, address it. Let's do something about it. Let's not be happy with where we are. Let's always do better, right? Um, and like I said, we're not always successful, but we have a drive to always attempt it, to always give it a shot, to always make the, I don't want to say take the risk because it's not really risk. I think it's truly what you must do. It's not a risk. It is, this is what gaming companies do. We're making entertainment products, right? And I mean, if we could all predict what the world wanted, we wouldn't have to do this. We would just make what the world wanted and then be done with life. And if the and world agreed, and you know, world speaking agreed, from yeah. the perspective of the players, right? So we hear from our players on every possible platform, whether it's public, whether it's private, and I don't think I have ever yet seen a topic where 100% of the player base agreed because 100% of humans never agree on anything. So very much, yeah, if there was something that 100% of the world and our player base wanted to see, then I'd love it if we could put it out there. But no, this is why we also need it. It's the data and the feedback, like we were saying earlier. This is how we get those into the development process. It's either reacting once we know something, if we see that the players don't like something, then it's possibly adapting to it if it makes sense, or it's even getting out in front of it. So one of the great things that we get to do is um, speak to very engaged players sometimes, um, get their opinions on either yeah, different features that are already out or possible ideas for the future and like their feelings towards these kind of things. And it means that we can incorporate that already into things that we're doing and yeah it's ultimately the players are what we're doing it for so that's why so it's why i sit at these tables to say the players are part of it and that's you know how we're using it getting them into the process and that's not to forget technically the internal players that we have like even though chris you say just because you know one person plays it we shouldn't do it that way but everybody at the company has some kind of passion for our games and will play it and will have feedback about it as well so even taking just the internal stuff that we know is super useful. What's really important about the whole thing, though, is just to not stifle your creativity with your business and your data and whatever, right? You have to be measured about it. You still have to be serious and you still have to be very practical about it. You still need, for example, to soft launch your game quickly, look at the data to make sure people actually do like it, even if they don't say anything about it, before you move on to the next step. But what's important is you still do those game jams. You still make games. You still have to do things, even if you throw them out at the end of the day, you still need to have that general interest. And I think we have this, right? That's part of this social culture, this part of this, you know, learning culture also, but it's just like, we are all here to do, I don't think anyone is doing a job because they, they don't want to succeed at it. You know, like it's, it, even if they're not maybe in the job they want to do, they, most people still want to succeed at their job, right? And I think that's still true for all of this. And succeeding here is be, making cool games, making games that we're proud of making, Right, so we need to make sure we don't stifle it. So we do game jams too, just like any other game jam, game company. I think we, we do that a lot, but we we also have like even like a, we have people just like who've been doing that for years, literally like people who are working on it, maybe on and off, maybe not full time working on it, but there are people who are constantly looking. What's the next game we're gonna make? What's the next thing we're gonna do? What's the next feature even? It could even be that low level, but making new things, right? I think is is important uh, into the whole culture here. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about sort of like risk and sort of before and it sort of comes into this as well sort of thing. It's also much response. It's not being scared to fail, I guess. Would that be so? Almost so. You have an idea. Don't be scared to sort of explore that idea. Does that make sense? I think you could put it that way. Again, it, it's something that you need to do consciously. I'm not going to say don't take a lot of risk. I'm not going to say take little amounts of risk. We have our own style at Calibre Games. Other companies will go big and go home. But what's important is that you make a choice, right? That you choose the risk and you are aware of your risk. And I think that's really important, right? So we have chosen a very specific strategy, which is speed, right? Small things done fast, right? Learn rapidly, right? But there are companies out there and they're very successful doing it where they just make one game every three years and can still get stuff out the door with extremely high quality, right? And I'm never gonna knock that either. Right? I think as a data person, that's harder because I'm a data person. I need data and if I'm gonna wait three years without data, I don't have a job, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but, but, you know, so th there are different strategies there, but I think what's important about risk is you should not be afraid of failure, but you should be aware of what it looks like, right? And make sure you're making logical, conscious choices on the kind of risks you're taking and understand and prepare for it as best you can, 
right? You can't always prepare for it. I remember Colibri Games' first game ever. We flopped, and it was expensive. That's yeah. all I can say, right? That's all I'm going to say about it. But it was definitely there, and I think you know, that Laura knows exactly what I'm referring to. And it was expensive and, and hard to make, and all those things. And it wasn't done with much thought about it. But the next one, it was. We knew what we were trying to go for. There was like a, a bit of a, all right, we're going to go for this small thing and let's make that work and see what happens. And I think that's kind of how it led to the culture that we have today when it comes to development, right? We learn, ah, that works for us. Let's keep doing that, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, this was your view on the, uh, the game, the learning experience of where, you know, as Chris said about the game of flot and coming back from that sort of, I don't know, like the development side for you guys. It's like Bruce said, it's really a lot about figuring out, okay, we created certain technology, we made a game in that way, and okay, has it worked, has it not? What can we learn from that? And really, as we evolved as a company as well, the, the good thing is that we don't, when we make a new game, rebuild everything from scratch. As I mentioned in the past, now we share a lot of the code that we did in the past spot. And we can focus really on, okay, what kind of game is it that we are making now? When we try new genres, new attempts, we, we do have our own style of just prototyping very fast and ignoring how we do things, because that's how we get fast to learn. Does this work? Is this fun or is it not? But we are very, very clear at making sure that we know when we actually make the game, the actual game that we want them to have the players playing for many years. For that, we have a standard and a baseline of quality that we want to have in our tech and in our code already. We're just different from the past. Now we can definitely start at a higher quality level with our games as well, with everything that we've been building. And that's, that's how we think about it. Every time we try a new game, we learned something from it. Either we learned how to design the certain gameplay, or we at least have a new piece of tech we can reuse next time for the next attempts. No, of course, you, you talk about this sort of like fast um, production of games, sorry, you know, new releases and stuff like that. How do you feel that pressure? Like, you know, so to, you said now you've gone, I think it was uh, one game over, you know, one release in a week sort of thing. Now it's two in a week. And how do you feel sort of like the pressure on your side? I mean, that's a very, very good question because uh, it is a challenge. Uh, Let's be open about it. It's a challenge that we've been facing and we talk about it so every, every time we talk with the teams and we discuss about it because we want the pressure to be just enough for us to, to be making the right decisions and, and delivering on, on what matters, what will actually make a difference for the players in the end. Something that's stable, for example, is not completely broken because our QA team, for example, is telling us we did not have time to test. Please give us another day. And we do that. We delay the release, maybe a bit longer. Maybe in general, we do have an average now around two releases per week. But if we have a big thing going out, we are going to delay it for maybe another week and actually ship something that we are confident will work as uh, the quality we expect. So it's in average, this very fast pace. And also for the games, I mean, we had games where we worked more than we wanted. For sure, everyone does that. Uh, but we, we learn from it and we try next attempt to be then uh, iterating on it. So our teams have retrospectives as well. After, for example, a game that didn't work out, they talk about, okay, what could have we done better? And they share that with the whole company. And that's, I think, a very key part of it. They share that with the company so other teams can avoid making the same mistakes. Well, of course. You, you know you're doing your job well when you sort of, uh, you're getting QA back to you saying, uh, slow down, uh, we can't test it quite as uh, quick as you're making it. So uh, it's a good job on the uh, engineering side, I guess, right? How do you find the pressure coming from your side, um, picking culture sort of thing? How to deal with 
Oh, life is never boring in people and culture. <laughs> so, in the same, um, let's put it like this, the, the speed of the business kind of by default push us to have the same speed. Mm-hmm. So, and that goes in many things that, for example, now is something that comes not just in the interviewing candidates when they request, hey, do you have a position which is remote only? Or do you have hybrid? Or do I need to be in the office? So, Five years ago, probably the answer could have been, sorry, you don't move to Berlin, obviously we will not hire you. Now, we need to adapt. And so all these things add uh, pressure as well to, okay, we need to ensure hybrid is possible, how? We need to ensure remote work is possible, how? We need to ensure this compensation works in a different way, how? And we have their reserves. And it goes to the same ideology, test and rule. My team, the rule, be curious. If there is something you have seen that makes sense, perhaps other companies doing it, maybe it makes sense for us, let's give it a try. And we're trying, they have seen in this uh, year and a half with them, we have implemented like four or five things, we killed two of them for working and they're staying here. And it's working. And how do we know it's working? Because we have, uh, we call it the pulse check, the, the survey for the employees, and we get feedback based on that. And the answer was positive. I like those changes, I don't like those changes. Okay, let's change again. Use how it works. No, amazing, perfect. And I think that brings us on nicely to sort of like our final question. Uh, and I think everyone finds this one quite interesting, sort of like the gaming industry today. Uh, so the gaming industry has seen a rise in remote work um, and distributed teams. How has Calibri adapted to this trend? And what challenges and opportunities does remote work present for the studio's culture? Um, so yeah, I'll sort of. <laughs> who wants to sort of run with this one, sort of first off, because I, I feel like it might be some iffy. <laughs> I can start, but uh, uh, this is just because I had a week ago I went to a, a meetup here in Berlin with other uh, HR people. Uh, we kind of think we had the same question: how it's affecting your culture, and and it came to a sort of consensus that the biggest challenge of this is, I mean, the, let's start for the good news. The good news that give us a broad uh, possibility to recruit and hire people from all over the world. Would have, again, talking from the begin- first question or second question about diversity, you can really have different profiles, different perspectives in the world. The challenging part, it caused the, the innovation part. When you need to be together in a room and discuss your ideas, and not that not always is affected through through a Teams call or a Zoom call. You really need to be with that person, perhaps talking, chatting, perhaps fighting, and then to get something new. So that's the biggest challenge, and uh, and that to transfer into the company culture that you have is very difficult because if you put yourself in the shoes of the person doing remote work, at the end of the day, that company culture finishes when the laptop is closed. After that. What we mentioned at the beginning, the people tables or the gatherings or painting the sneakers together or going to a social event together is not for them. So there is the challenge. Yeah, no, it's a major challenge. I feel like everyone's feeling, but then there's some positives, like you said, about the ability of being able to hire one over the world. What are, what are sort of your guys' views and sort of the remote side of working? Well, I mean, remote, I don't, I, I don't really want to talk necessarily about remote because I think for me it's it's... It's a deliberate thing that leaders have to choose, which is, it's not about remote, it's not about hybrid, it's not about that, it's about who are we, right? And what is the setup that makes us who we are? And that, I think, is really the crutch of it all, right? Not the crutch, the the linchpin of it all, right? Because if you don't really figure that out, you're not gonna make the right choice. Um, And I'm gonna give a couple examples, right? Remote work is fantastic, if you have a family and you live and you want to live in a different country and you have experience and senior and you know your job and everything like that, but that comes at the expense of junior people trying to come in because it's so hard to coach remotely. It's so hard to teach people remotely, right? If anyone's done an online class, you know what I mean, yeah. right? It's difficult and you make the industry impenetrable for those who want to come in. And we're not that kind of company. We want curious people from outside the industry coming in. So if we went full remote, we would lose this. And it would, it's hard, we've even tried it several times and it doesn't work all the time. And it only works with typically more senior and more experienced profiles. So I think for me, it's much more about the deliberate choice of the leadership team, who are we, and making the choice around that. 
I think what has changed and what is really good about it is the fact that there are now more tools like remote.com and a few other things that exist to facilitate filling in positions or roles that you can't, for example, fill locally, or you have senior positions or even freelance positions or externals that you want to incorporate into your business workflow, right? And you can do it more seamlessly thanks to this kind of stuff. And there are more best practices and things like that, but you need to make that choice very, very deliberately. And we've chosen hybrid. I think we can go ahead and say that. And we've chosen hybrid and we have this amazing office that we're sitting in right now because we want people to see each other because we want to foster innovation and creativity. And it just takes a little bit of face-to-face time. Not exclusively, of course. We don't want to limit freedom. We still want to be a flexible company, right? But we do want people to fundamentally believe that they want to work with their colleagues and they want to see them and they want to innovate and they want to do stuff, right? And and you see this too. And, and we don't want to be the kind of company, and I'm speaking for Yoel, he can say it a bit more, but we don't want to force people to do it either. We just, we want it to be desirable. We want people to know that that's what they want and that's what they're doing. So it really blends. I think the culture defines what kind of remote work setup that you should choose rather than it changing your culture. Cool. So, yeah. I really like the flexibility that we have. Now. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's something that completely changed as well uh, as we went over the years at Contemporary as well. We are very flexible now into uh, how people work, where do they work from. And this is something that we, we are still iterating and working on every day, basically. But it's a lot about in the end, the teams finding the best setup to work together. Uh, some teams are, are coming every week, once a day, because they believe, hey, they can actually solve some, some topics better together. And it's, a, it's best when they are all here in the office, because then they don't actually have that many calls around and they are actually talking with each other face to face. And then there are other teams as well that are remote most of the time, but still definitely participate in different events and so on, so that they also have the feeling of community that we want to think about. Exactly. And certain things like speaking for my team, we often revolve around the days where we have like one-on-ones or other team meetings, and that's where people tend to come in. It helps that we have various people in the company who, I don't know, go on holiday or bake things, and then it's extra motivation to be in the office because you'll get tasty food while you're here and it's just a nice it's the community feeling and that's the thing you can get a community feeling online as well we tried it during the pandemic we had like online murder mystery nights and things like this it was really really cool and that can work and that's it i think that's why kind of hybrid is a good approach because not much like not everybody learns the same way not everybody socializes the same way so some people need that in-person interaction and therefore they can be in the office more often and that will work but also if you are somebody who prefers more digital approach, it can be possible. Um, I, I definitely heard over the pandemic, especially there were people who got like the Zoom fatigue as they called it back then because they did everything like social and work online and it was too much and they craved the in-person stuff and other people who were like, I don't want any in-person stuff because I feel like I've already done it because I've been online. So I do find, yeah, that hybrid approach just means that you can adapt it as required. So yeah, it's, Something which I also think, uh, to speak for the challenges, one that I am very acutely aware of that I'm doing my best with is communication and processes around that. Because one thing I love is if I walk into the kitchen here in the office to get a coffee and someone goes, oh, Lauren, this thing that I completely forgot about, but physically seeing you remind me. That's a wonderful thing that we managed to make sure that we caught that. But then it's constantly trying to catch up on a missing process that you maybe have or getting out in front of okay how can we make sure that conversation would have happened if I hadn't gone for coffee at that precise moment and that's a challenge I'm finding um, which is also part of I mean we've been speaking about evolution and adapting and all of that so it's just part of it we're not alone in that other companies will have it but I'm that's one that I I notice a lot um, no one's so. saying that hybrid is easy no for sure right? no. and I think that's the I think that's the unfortunate thing right I think it's sometimes easy for you to go okay, everyone in the office, because people know how to do that. Like the workforce knows how to be in an office. And some companies, like I'm looking at like GitLab and a few companies that are, have been remote since their inception are exceptional at remote work and probably could only ever exist fully remote, right? But most of the companies, gaming or not gaming included, they're all dealing with this problem. And 
no one's saying it's easy, like I said, right? Because for example, as a young company, passive communication is greatly missed, right? And I think often undervalued, right? Because people don't realize how much communication happens at the coffee machine. Oh yeah. It's an insane amount. And if you don't ever come to the office, you'll never get it. Then you'll feel like you're excluded and then you won't have the social benefit. And then, you know, there's that, there's that uh, classic, um, um, well, I forget, I forgot how you, what you would call it, but there's like that thing where people who are in the office get promoted and people who are remote don't. Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want to say something about it? <laughs> statistically speaking. Yeah. yeah statistically speaking. It's like, it's an unfortunate statistic, but it is reality because we are humans and we are social creatures, oh. right? So performance is perceived in physicality form much easier than it is in remote form. So trying to come up with a right hybrid setup, it's, it's a lot about making, like I said, is making sure that you choose the tools that work for you and you criticize the tools that don't and you are okay with both being in the office to solve that problem or not. Um, I'm encouraging my team right now to, to read um, GitLab's remote uh, procedures. They call it the remote manifesto and it is long, but they, it tells you when a company is fully remote, what, how much process it takes to run a company fully remote. And it's not easy. The other one that I like to mention is the Amazon meeting six pager or eight pager, what they call it. If you've ever had a chance to read it, it is arduous. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, you're writing a book, you know? It's bedtime um, read. Well, it, a bit, it's not even bedtime reading. I think you would fall asleep before you get to the whole thing. Um, <laughs> because the thing, and the reason they do that, and they chose this based on their culture, is they are trying to limit costly meetings. They only want meetings to happen when they are extremely productive. Hence why they force the meeting owner to write many pages of expose and context and action points and agenda, right? And you have to consider this as yet another tool, right? If you're, if you're, doing, if you're stuck in a Zoom box all day and you have Zoom fatigue, it can also mean that your meetings are useless. So you should ask yourself, how do I make them useful? Do I adopt a new procedure or a new thing? Or you will let it be more social, in which case little you know, synapses fire between people while they're in the room like we're doing now in this podcast, right? And that doesn't happen easily in a, in a, in a phone call, right? That's the unfortunate truth, I think. So you really need to think about what kind of company you want to be and what kind of people you have also. I think that's also really important. Like I said, if you skew towards heavily towards senior, remote becomes a lot easier because people know what their job is and they can do it well every single time. But if you want to create a culture where you have innovation and you know and creativity and you want to allow juniors to come in and things like that and you want to promote learning and stuff like that it's some you have to start thinking can i do that remote is it really possible for me to do that remote um and and they say maybe not right yeah, yeah. um but i think the rule of thumb is and laura said this earlier i think it was before the podcast right why do you want to go to the office if you're gonna be stuck in the zoom box all day no of course not. Right? If you're, and if you're going to do the same job, Yoel is actually, I'm quoting Yoel here because it's really, really good point. If you're going to do the same job at work as you would do in your home office, then you don't need to be at the office. Right? But if you're going to do something productive at the office, right, then, that, then, then you should. Right? And you should feel that you are not only allowed to, but we, we get out of the way. The company provides that system for it, right? which is why I think hybrid is more correct. Than, than fully remote or fully at the office uh, for gaming, right? Because you need to allow for that, that spark of creativity. Sorry to steal, I think, at least three quotes from Yoel today. So, uh, my bad. <laughs> no problem. Something out of interest. So, um, one of my previous podcasts, I spoke to one of my guests about sort of similar remote sort of thing as well. But what they have implemented sort of like a, a chat room you can sit in when you sort of look in to talk to people. Is this something that you sort of implemented in your studio at the same time or anything? Well, I think, Briz, you tried that off. Boy, yeah. we did. Well, boy, we gave that a shot. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. No? It's not the same. I think that's the issue. Um, and the thing is, it, at least in my experience, and I, I think other teams have tried it too. Yeah. In fact, there are game teams who have tried it. Not necessarily the whole game team, but there are squads and there are game teams who have tried it. Right? And tribes, or so to say, whatever vocabulary you want to use. It's, it's difficult, I think, because I think the problem is that when you're looking at a screen, you're looking at a face on a screen, it's just not personal enough, right? Mm -hmm. To really create that, like that, the idea behind that room to just chat, like the just chat, it's like, if, it's like if you've ever tried to go to a Twitch chat, 
and you see everyone trying to talk all at once to the guy streaming, there's always the one dominant personality sitting in there, right? And it, it just doesn't, it's not clean, right? Um, and it's not organic. I mean, it's, for example, things that happen naturally in a, in a room is side conversations. And you can't have side conversations in a Zoom call, right? Yeah. But they might be productive. Right, you know, some uh, Jonas and Joel might be talking about something. I'm going to chat to Lauren here sitting next to me about something completely unrelated, just because they're busy doing something, right? And it's not like that meetings become less productive or less focused. It might be completely related, but we have a slightly side issue that we need to handle, and that's really difficult to do on on the open room, right? Um, it, it falls a lot like you just can't. I at least I can't. I can't get the thing out of my head. This predisposition that once I'm in a call, it's a meeting. Rooms. Right, it's not. It's not a. It's not a chat. Right, like even I play D on D online with some friends. Mm-hmm. Right, there's still a GM. There's still a person wrangling all the crazy people in that call. Right, mm-hmm. it's still true. Even in something as nerdy as that, and if you watch like any, I don't know, like if you watch uh, Critical Role, right, or Dimension Twenty, like these, you know, very nerdy podcasts about where they're definitely not in a meeting. Right, there's still someone holding control of the whole call. And that's the reality of, I think, of, of, of these kind of open calls. Yeah. I think it can work in very specific dynamics, but I think you can't hire for that dynamic. It's too difficult. There's not enough people who are like that, I think. And even if you could, it doesn't work for every single team in your company. So it can't be a blanket policy for your whole company. I think that's really hard. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting view of how sort of like different companies can implement different things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. It means, you know, it, it, uh, I think the hybrid sort of situation we've got anyways, that them opportunities to sort of socialise are there anyways and maintaining that is sort of this bearing point within businesses and I think mental health wise as well. So you're a real person, really knows make a difference in sort of like your day-to-day business. And, uh, yeah, amazing guys. Um, perfect. So we're coming to the end now. So uh, yeah, just before we finish, I'd like to say thank you to all uh, to all of you who sort of like joined me here today on the podcast. So uh, today we've had Yoel, Christopher, Lauren, and Jonas, and uh, it's been a Calibri sort of exclusive podcast today here in the studio. And it was sunny before; it's no longer now. So uh, that's our situation today. And me and Jonas are going to go away and play our game ping pong to see who's the best. But uh, if you're interested in joining a future podcast, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Or if there's any help you need within your company, uh, scaling up through freelancers, then also please reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. I hope to see you soon.